We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. guys um i'm super excited about tonight's urgent education i look a little bit crooked um i almost didn't get this uh, get to this because you know here's what i've been doing i get caught up in all the little things that i need to finish after a day full of appointments and then before you know it it's like time for bed because i get up so early <laughs> and uh so anyway you know i'm like stop Sherry and do urgent education. So, um, the idea of religious liberty is basically this, and I'm going to quote Thomas Jefferson, God, the God that gave us life gave us liberty. And how can the liberties of a nation be thought to be secure when we remove our only firm foundation, the conviction of the minds of men, in the minds of men, that liberty is a gift from God. So what this means is that our liberties do not come from man. They do not come from a piece of paper. They do not come from a bill of rights, a constitution, or the government telling you that you have permission. For our founding fathers, our liberties come from God and God alone. This is where you get inherent or natural Rights, And so when you see those phrases in the Founding Fathers documents, uh, their writings, etc., that's what they're talking about. These are not things that a government gives, therefore a government cannot take them away. Okay, so it doesn't come from the Constitution, legislation, or legislators, because then if it did, it wasn't really a liberty. It was a privilege that is granted, uh, granted that can be curbed or that can be altered or that can be appealed. Now, liberty comes before government, and government, their only purpose is to secure liberty, not regulate it, limit it, or control it. And quite frankly, this is why I was so disturbed. You can ask the people that are part of our hub group why I was so disturbed at churches shutting down because a governor says so during COVID. Religious liberty has like there's no place to shut it down. There's no place to arrest pastors. There's no place to uh, shut down churches. There is no right that any government has to tell people that they cannot express their liberties. It doesn't matter what emergency they feel they're under. In fact, when the Constitution was being de debated and ratified, it was during a smallpox epidemic. So the Supreme Court has said repeatedly that no government, governor, attorney general, 
state government, federal government has any right to suppress religious freedom or to suppress people from gathering together to worship as they see fit because the Constitution was ratified at the height of an emergency. But we don't know that. And we're thinking, well, for the good of the people. And so people shut down their churches, and guess what? Now the government knows how far it can go. And we didn't. We refused to. Now, um, John Witherspoon, he was a delegate to the Continental Congress. He was president of the New Jersey College. He taught nine future cabinet uh, officers, 21 senators, 39 congressmen, three um, Supreme Court justices. I was like, what is that? 12 governors, a vice president, and president. He said, if your cause is just, principles are pure, and if your conduct is prudent, you need not fear the multitude of opposing hosts. So what does he mean by that? So when our founding fathers were discussing um, religious liberty, they, there was this temptation to have a national religion. So uh, a, being a Baptist or being a, a Methodist or whatever. Um, and, and although we are founded on Judeo-Christian principles, the founding fathers, including this guy, was a little bit hesitant to appoint a national denomination because we would find ourselves back in the mess that we were in with England where they had a, a church of England. And if you didn't worship according to the, the precepts of the Church of England, or if you preach without having a license from the Church of England, if you met anywhere that was not the Church of England to worship God, you faced arrest, beating, imprisonment, and even death. And so there was this back and forth going on between the Catholic Church, the Church of England, Protestant versus Catholic, blah, 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 blah. And so what he was saying, Mr. Witherspoon, is that Christianity, by its very nature, is to be desirable. Therefore, if you are offering pure religion, uh, not religion that is oppressive, but you're offering what it looks like to follow Christ, then on its own merit, it should rise to the top. Other religions other belief systems will not compare to the Christian faith. So it's like a marketing concept in that Christianity should be the most desired by the way the people live, the blessings that God bestows upon them, and how generous and helpful they are to others. Unfortunately, um, we didn't get started very well, okay, which we'll get into in a second. So civil liberty and religious liberty rise and fall together. If you don't have civil, civil liberty, your religious liberty will be attacked. If you don't have religious liberty, your civil liberties will be attacked. Our role as believers in Jesus Christ is to make sure we are guardians of religious liberty and civil liberty. And the Constitution has to be our lamp. So the Declaration of Independence says that the purpose of government is to secure and to protect our liberties, right? Our pursuit of life, uh, liberty, uh, liberty, uh, life, liberty, and happiness, which, by the way, happiness was owning property. Um, so the five liberties that they enshrined is religion, speech, press, assembly, and redress. But they didn't just pull these things out of anywhere. It came through history. 
So I'm going to read a lot of the notes here that I've got. The legal charter history of our founding documents was birthed in the context of fighting for freedom of religion expression, freedom of religious expression, free from the bonds of Rome or the government of England, like I was talking about. So the pendulum, it swung back and forth between uh, Roman Catholicism and the Church of England, Protestant. Protestant, what is that called? Protestant, but there's a word for it. Well, anyway, I don't know how to pronounce it, obviously. Um, so it was centuries long. A lot of people died. And this um, war between the religions shaped a lot of our founding fathers' perspective. Then you had the legal history in that in 1100, the Charter of Liberties um, for documents um, for Henry I asserted that the Holy Church of God should be free. So this planted the idea of separation of church and state, which is to keep the government out of religious affairs, not a barrier to religious expression in governmental settings. The reason we had the 1100 Charter of Liberties is because Henry I was taking freedoms away, and we made him sign the um, 1100 Charter of Liberties, uh, or his head would be cut off, right? Well, fast forward, you got the Magna Carta of 1215. The barons declare to the king that the church is, quote, to be free and have her rights entire and her liberties inviolate, meaning the government cannot control religion. We made him, that king, sign it at the threat of his head. In the 1640s, there was a dispute over church autonomy and religious liberty, and this led to the bishops' war. So James I, James I issued a decree of religious indulgence that contained stipulations controlling religious practice. This fueled division and suspicions of the people. It created like a police state. So if you weren't um, practicing the way you're supposed to, you would have been narked on. And a lot of people fled England and they went over to Holland, I believe, because that was the only free European state when it came to religious freedom. That was the only place they could go. And so they ran, they fled England, and England's strong arm went into Holland and arrested them there, um, search warrants of their home, uh, brought them back to England. So it really was a very dangerous time. And so when our founding fathers left Europe, to come here, it was to escape that persecution. That was the number one reason they wanted a place for religious freedom. And they were determined to get it here in America, in the colonies. Um, now, because of all of that, the Bishop Wars, etc., the Glorious Revolution brought the English Bill of Rights of 1689. And a lot of our founding fathers lived under those English Bill of Rights, and they carried a lot of that into our Bill of Rights and their ideas on what religious freedom looks like. So religious freedom is a freedom to express your worship of a deity. Doesn't matter if it's Christian or not, although we are a Judeo-Christian country, they did not name a denomination as being the one that is supreme above all others so that we could protect religious freedom and not end up in trouble like we did in England. The problem is habits die hard because a lot of the founding fathers, when they came over here, fleeing religious 
persecution, they actually began to persecute those that were not of the faith that they were. And I'll give you some examples. But early settlers came to flee uh, religious perse persecution. The principle of religious liberty enshrined in our constitution was not the driving um, perspective of early American settlers. In fact, each colony established state religions with their own religious views. Um, let's see, in Massachusetts, okay, so let me make sure I get this right. Obadiah Holmes, a Baptist minister, was brutally beaten because he would not confess the state religion of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. He's just one of many instances. Patrick Henry defended 50 Baptist ministers who were also taken to jail for not having a state license to preach. So what happened is each state, like, I don't remember which one it was. Um, it might have been Connecticut but or Rhode Island, but they refused to allow Catholics a voice. And if you were Catholic, you were persecuted in that state. So there was a lot of gelling and beating and tar and feathering and disarming and disenfranchising and expelling because people didn't adopt that colony's state religion. And so any views were beautifully punished. And you had to take loyalty oaths to that state or that colony religion. I mean, this is crazy. Also under Massachusetts law, anyone that imported a Quaker the smuggler would be beaten and the Quaker was hanged, guys. This is, this is religious freedom, what it looked like in the early colonies. Because again, old habits die hard. So they literally brought the perspective of England over into America. And so there was a bloody persecution that happened even on our soil. Christian killing Christian. This is why Thomas Paine wrote, an avidity to punish is always dangerous to liberty. It leads men to stretch, to misinterpret, and to misapply even the best of laws. He that would make his own liberty secure must guard even his enemy from oppression. So what that means is you may have different, different political views, but if a Democrat wants to spout hatred against Republicans, go ahead. That is freedom of speech. If someone, by the way, press isn't journalism or media, it is any publication, whether it's book, radio, podcast, media, et cetera, it all falls under press. If someone wants to write a book that talks about how wonderful Hitler was, they have that right. The market decides if we want to hear it or if we want to buy it. Now, if you're inciting to violence, that's a different story. But you have to be very clear on what the line is and... Um, people that say hate speech, if it doesn't provoke people to go and kill others, can't really do much about that, right? So I have to be okay defending my enemy's right to bash Christians, to, um, you know, make Hitler look like a saint. I have to defend that right. It's the same thing like with gun rights. I don't like children being shot, yet... I'm not going to ever agree with any limitation or regulation of gun rights because that is an inherent right against tyrannical government, okay? So my right to bear arms is also my enemy's right 
So their right to bear arms must be defended. That's why I don't, I'm not a big believer in red flag laws. Uh, so we need to have different solutions that keep the Constitution supreme as the law of the land. And yet at the same time, let's make sure that people aren't going into schools killing children. Fastest way to end that is to arm the teachers. Just saying. Okay. So again, the culture that founded America is a Judeo-Christian worldview. Because of this, the view that one ratification was a, na a nation built on religious liberty or freedom of conscience. It was not affirming a national religion to the exclusion of others. Um, so the debate over the, 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 uh, the religious liberty and the Bill of Rights, um, basically the guy that convinced James Madison to fight for religious liberty versus a national religion was because John Leland's Baptist forefathers and what they endured. Leland was intimately acquainted with the bloody persecution that had been going on on our soil for um, many years in the Christian colonies. In the name of Christianity, the colonies wielded the power of government to brutally quash dissent and cause colonists to conform again to that state-approved doctrine. Well, his own family endured that persecution. So that was very fresh in his, his mind. So it's widely, widely held that the only way to protect religion was to leave it in the hands of the individual and prohibit government from any hand in the matters of conscience, which again is why it's so frustrating that Christians listen to governors and shut down churches. The prevailing um, founders ultimately agreed with the views of John Leland and said, every man must give an account of himself to God and therefore every man ought to be at liberty to serve God in that way that he can best reconcile it to his conscience. If government can answer for individuals at the day of judgment, Judgment, let it be in control of religious matters. Otherwise, let men be free. Okay, now, this whole separation of church and state, which, by the way, is not in the Constitution, but the idea is. The, um, a lot of Christians felt that even with the Constitution, Bill of Rights, it still gave government too much control. When Thomas Jefferson was elected as president, the Danbury Baptists wrote him. And I think they were in Connecticut, Danbury, Connecticut. And they wrote him to encourage their new president to fight for religious liberty. So in a letter to President Jefferson, they congratulated him on being elected. And then they encouraged him to stand firm on this issue. President Jefferson responded to this letter in 1802 with the following words. And the whole letter just takes a few seconds to read. But he said, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people, which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. It wasn't until I think the 50s or 60s that one of the justices went rogue and convinced other justices to go rogue and decide that that meant that religion could not be in government matters. Knowing that's not what the founding fathers meant. So from that point on, the government has been trying to take control of religious matters. Another example is, remember how you'd have to have loyalty 
um, pledges in your state to their state religion or your colony to that state religion. That's why there is a, a prohibition of loyalty pledges and, and talking to Supreme Court justices about their religious beliefs. You cannot do that. You cannot test loyalty and you cannot give religious tests. What did they do with the three that President Trump uh, uh, brought up for the Supreme Court? They, they went after their religious beliefs. It was a religious test. That was against the Constitution. Did anybody do anything? No. We've got to know, guys, what it says. This is why these things, I want you to share them, please. Share these videos. Let's get the word out. Let's spread the word. Um, peaceful noncompliance. When people want to try to say that the government has a right to do that, be like, no, they don't. Because my right of religious freedom did not come from the government. Therefore, it has no right to tell me where I can attend church, when I can attend church, how many can be at church, and that it can be shut down during any epidemic or pandemic. Like I said, smallpox was a pandemic when they met to ratify the Constitution. Therefore, no emergency, no epidemic will trump the emergency that they had in the middle of the Constitution back when they didn't have uh, vaccines. Okay, so it was a big deal. So the separation of church and state was to keep the government out of the business of the affairs of the church. Shortly after the ratification of the Constitution Bill of Rights, several legislatures, including um, Patrick Henry, they wanted to put forth a bill to pay Christian teachers. The bill was titled, A Bill Establishing a Provision for Teachers of Christian Religion. So they wanted to collect tax and pay these Christian teachers their salaries. Now, Patrick Henry was a great defender of liberty. He was an ardent Christian, but his faith blinded him to the dangers of inviting the government in Christian affairs, <clears throat> especially with tax subsidies, which, by the way, we shouldn't even be subsidizing stuff anyway. Fortunately, other legislatures recognized the danger, and they shot that down. So even good intentions, the good of the people, can lead to dangerous intentions and destinations when it comes to this country. That's why the Bible must be our guidepost and the Constitution must be our guidepost as citizens of this country. So what that means is when a government pays your salary, you're owned by the government. You're no longer being paid by the people of God for that ministry. You're now being pay paid by the government. And guess who now owns you? The government. They can tell you what you can and cannot do. Okay? So it was a very dangerous uh, situation. In opposition to Henry's bill, an association of ministers and dele uh, delegates wrote this. No men, man or set of men are entitled to exclusive or separate emoluments or privileges from the community, but in consideration of public services, quoting the Virginia Declaration of Rights. If, therefore, the state provides a support for preachers of the gospel and they receive it in consideration of their services, they must certainly, when they preach, act as officers of the state and ought to be accountable thereto for their conduct. The consequence of this is that those whom the state employs in its service, it has a right to regulate and dictate to it. It may judge and determine who shall preach, when and where they shall preach. The mutual obligations between preachers and societies they belong to must evidently be weakened and farewell to the Bill of Rights. To compel a man to furnish contributions of money for the propagation of opinions which he disbelieves is sinful and tyrannical, Thomas Jefferson said in 1786. So they understood 
that funneling tax money to fund churches undermines the believer's dependence on God. It undermines the gospel itself. And then it declares that the word of God is not sufficient to provide for the needs of the church. James Madison said religion not invented by human policy must have preexisted and been supported before it was established by human policy. Relying upon government provision serves to weaken in those who profess this religion a pious confidence in its innate excellence in the patronage of its author and to foster in those who still reject a suspicion that its friends are too conscious of its fallacies to trust on its own merits. In other words, either Christianity can sit on its, its, itself by itself or it can't. And if you have a government that has to support it, then is it really all that? That's what he's basically saying. It is believed to be repugnant to the spirit of the gospel for the legislature thus to proceed in matters of religion that the holy author of our religion needs no such compulsive measures for the promotion of his cause, that the gospel wants not the feeble arm of man for its support, that it has made and will again through divine power make its way against all opposition, and that should the legislator assume the right of taxing the people for the support of the gospel, it will be destructive to religious liberty. And so I'll end with Isaac Backus, a Baptist minister, his, uh, his thoughts on it. He said, as God is the only worthy object of all religious worship, and nothing can be true religion but a voluntary obedience unto his revealed will, of which each rational soul has an equal right to judge for itself, every person has an inalienable right to act in all religious affairs according to the full persuasion of his own mind, where others are not injured thereby. So that's where the whole idea of religious liberty came from. So don't buy into this, you know, this lie that um, the government gave us our rights. God gave us our rights and the purpose of government is to secure those rights and to not infringe nor regulate those rights. So hope that helps you with um, religious freedom. I am super excited that I got my urgent education done. I mean, second week in a row, guys. And we'll continue our heavy revy. Uh, either tomorrow or Thursday. And the heavy revy this week is the behind the scenes of the seals that we studied last week. So it'll be a good one. So have a great night and I will see you later on this week. Small is a new big. God is shifting from the current church structure back to his original intent and design, the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the original word that was used when Jesus was describing that he would build his church and gates of hell would not prevail against it in Matthew 16, 18. In fact, most of the time when you see church, it's actually ecclesia. The ecclesia is his ruling government on earth made up of two or more. It's a noble, organic community, not a system. If you felt like a square peg trying to fit a round hole, or you know there's more, this training might be for you. If you know that God is moving in the marketplace and you want to be equipped to partner with this training is for you. If you understand the call is to disciple nations, you must be equipped with this training. Go to churchshift.me. That is churchshift.me.